This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing you can do for this show is to tell somebody else about it. Help spread the word and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. This week, we're taking a look at some of the most popular new Classical Tracks episodes of 2023. All top ten are listed at yourclassical.org. Today, though, you're going to get a taste of the top three episodes... We're starting with number three, which is Ashley Jackson and the Harlem Chamber Players as they explore African roots on her recording called Ananga. Jackson is an assistant professor of music at Hunter College, and she commutes to New York City once a week from her home in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And that gives her a chance to hang out with the Harlem Chamber Players. And together, they were able to make her debut recording, Ananga, which is a delightful release. And it's the third most popular podcast of 2023. I'm Julia Macher, and you're listening to New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. This debut recording is, is really personal for me, and uh, it began with, thinking about, again, how can I use my voice as a harpist to bring sort of healing and uplift? And I started thinking about this album in the summer of 2020. We were still living in Harlem, and the protests were happening just outside of our street. And I really remember sitting and practicing and thinking, what can I put on my music stand that's going to be able to speak to what's happening right now? And so with that, I started with African-American spirituals. For me, they're the first uh, America's performing art form. From them, we have so many different genres of music that came out of that. And so I started with two spiritual arrangements by Samuel Coleridge Taylor. Uh, and they are I'm Troubled in Mind and The Angels Changed My Name. And then I wanted to sort of start there and then branch out to other genres. And so that's why I have a mixture. Uh, I have a piece by Alice Coltrane called Prima. Of course, William Grant still Ananga, as well as a contemporary tune by harpist Brandy Younger. The title of the recording comes from that William Grant still piece. Why was that the right title for this recording? Yeah, Ananga, as a piece, takes us on a journey through different American musical styles. So, and that's really what I was trying to go for in this debut album, Julie. The first movement, um, we have lots of polyrhythms and moments that sound like improvisation. And those traits we find in many different African musical styles. Ananga itself is a type of Ugandan harp. Um, and so I really wanted to 
focus or have listeners and think about not only the African-American roots of American music, but the West African roots of American music. And so that's what we have in the first movement. Lots of polyrhythms and, um, uh, like I said, moments of improvisation. In the second movement, we go into this spiritual realm. It's slower. It's got this melody that sounds familiar, but it's not. And it's almost reminiscent of the spiritual, sometimes I feel like a motherless child. So that's what we have in the second movement. And then the third movement, it's upbeat. It sounds like 1920s, 1930s Harlem. And so for me, that the piece as a whole takes us on this journey through the, sort of a musical journey through the Black diaspora. And that's what I wanted to do with this whole album. There have only been a few recordings of Ananga, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering why was it important to you to record your interpretation of it? Well, um, I wanted to offer an examination of a fantastic chamber piece. I think it's, it's just, there's so much there. And I wanted to offer an interpretation that paid homage to the two that came before me. And so the first uh, harpist who recorded it was Lois Adele Kraft, and she was the harpist who commissioned William Grant Still to write the piece. Um, and that was in the late 1970s, and then later Anne Hobson Pilot recorded it in the 1990s, and they're vastly different. And so I wanted to really think about the differences between the two and how I can draw from both because they're both really extraordinary um, in their own ways. The Harlem Chamber Players are your collaborators on this recording. Tell me about them, because you have played with them on a regular basis, is that right? Yes, Julie. I, I think of the Harlem Chamber Players, they're like my musical family. Uh, Liz Player has just done a wonderful job in giving us opportunities to explore all different kinds of music um, during the pandemic. She was very open to different ideas and um, ways that we can continue to engage our audience members, even though we weren't doing live performances. Uh, but really, every time we get together, it, it just feels like home. And so naturally, I reached out to those players uh, when doing this album. So you've been commuting now from Baton Rouge back to New York City. So do you still get a chance to play with them then when you're there? I do, yes. Um, I played with them this past season. And the next season, I'm going to be able to play a couple of harp solo chamber pieces uh, for their annual Black History Month program. The piece that opens this recording is by Alice Coltrane. What inspired you about her? Yes, Alice Coltrane, growing up, she was an enigma. 
And my father, you know, he would play her music for me. He's the lover of jazz, and I, I didn't quite understand it. In the fall of 2018, I had an opportunity to first perform an arrangement of Prima with the Urban Playground Orchestra. And it was great fun. Uh, we, we did a great job, I think, with it. But I, it was one of those pieces, Julie, where I was like, I'm not finished with it. I still have some more learning to do. Uh, so fast forward to now I'm planning the concept of the album. I take out Prima. I'm thinking about, uh, you know, summer of 2020, moments of healing um, slash justice. And Prima means love, pure love for the divine, which completely melts the heart. So I said, this piece has to be on here. And so I, I retweaked uh, the heart part quite a bit. I added a more extensive cadenza. And I did more research on Alice Coltrane. And it was then that I think I started to connect with her. Uh, I was most drawn by her commitment to spirituality and how she, that's a, such a through line um, between how she is as a mother and as an artist, um, but also that second part that she was a mom. And she really talked uh, so sweetly about taking care of her kids. And I think now that I was, I'm a mother, I was able to connect with her in that way as well. There's a composer on this recording that's new to me, Brandy Younger. Tell me about Brandy Younger and Essence of Ruby. Yeah, so speaking of musical family, I think of Brandy. She's like one of my harp sisters. She lives in Harlem. Uh, she's a fantastic jazz harpist. She just came out with her second album um, under uh, a major jazz label. She's been composing, she's been leading bands, um, and of course performing for years now, and she's doing really, really well. Um, starting in 2020, she started to release these solo harp arrangements of her compositions, and I was really excited. I was like, yes, finally, something I can play of hers. Uh, and so Essence of Ruby was one of them. And I loved the piece, I loved the groove-based uh, rhythms that it had. I love how it draws from not only jazz, but R&B. And th those are, that's my musical DNA, Julie. That's the music I grew up listening to. So it just felt really right in my fingers and I wanted to celebrate um, that musical background that I have, but also her, her beautiful language. That's a taste of number three in our top 10 most popular podcasts of new classical tracks in 2023, Ashley Jackson and the Harlem Chamber Players in Ananga. Next, we're going to sample from the number two recording this year, which features William Geyser and the Alexander String Quartet. The recording was British Invasion. Now, you might know William Geyser as a founding member of the Los Angeles Guitar Quartet, but he was also in a rock band in high school. He loved the Beatles, British rock, and the band Yes. And on this recording, British Invasion, he's kind of reliving those early roots. 
It's a fun recording that reminds us the edges of classical music bleed into a lot of different styles of music, and I encourage you to listen to it from the very beginning. However, here is just a little section of this recording, British Invasion, the second most popular podcast of 2023. Let's talk about Prism, the six songs by Sting. Tell me a little bit about this composer as we as we lean into these pieces. Well, I'm, I'm really so grateful that Ian is my dear friend for decades, and Dushan Bogdanovich has been my dear friend for decades. And Dushan... He was born in former Yugoslavia, Serbia, but he lived for many years in California. He's one of the most kind of brilliant and eclectic composers I've ever encountered. What I like to say about Dushan is, you know, he's he's written in almost every conceivable style, you know, jazz, Indian raga, 16th century polyphony, Serbian, Japanese, but it always sounds like Dushan. He has this amazing individual voice. One of the things that he loves to gravitate to is polymeter, polyrhythm, because of his Balkan background. And I've recorded a number of his solo works. I've also recorded pieces that he's written for my for LA Guitar Quartet. And I'm just a huge fan of Dushan. And as I mentioned at the on- outset, it was really the piece that he wrote f- sort of with Sting's blessing these settings of six songs, that really was the impetus for this whole project because Dushan wrote me and said, I really want this piece to be performed. Would you consider it? And so the background of the commission was, um, if you recall, Sting did a project quite a few years ago where he approached the music of John Dowland. And uh, interestingly, Ian, his his project was called Songs from the Labyrinth, you know, so it's just kind of funny. Uh, and he worked with a lutenist named Edin Karamazov, who is really good friends with Dushan. And Edin commissioned Dushan to write these these arrangements. And because Edin's really close with Sting, it was like this, you know, very close collaboration. But basically, uh, if you look on the score, it says it's by Sting slash Dushan Bogdanovich. Like they have equal writing credit. But what what Dushan did was he took, you know, these very recognizable tunes by Sting, you know, such as Every Breath You Take or Roxanne. And it's it sounds like Sting, but then at a certain point, it's Dushan now. <laughs> and he really did this amazing job of, you know, modifying, you know, adapting, but still holding it, the original together. And there's this beautiful letter that, that Sting wrote to Dushan uh, kind of saying, I, I, I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but he said, you know, you took the broken fragments of my songs and you turned them into a flight of nightingales or, or something like that, you know, like, so Sting, you know, really loves this, this arrangement. He was actually present when Eden premiered it in Europe. And so that's, that's the story behind it. And I think we have a pretty good chance of Sting getting a copy of this CD today because uh, a, a friend of mine is uh, really good buddies with his manager and he's going to see him in Vegas tonight. So um, he's going to pass along, you know, a little a little souvenir to Sting. It's, we'll see if we hear back from him. Of these six songs, is there a performance that you're especially proud of that you'd like to highlight? You know, 
The whole thing is challenging for all of us. Um, the, his setting of Roxanne. with this completely insane, like, bebop on acid trip. And that, that section uh, really challenged me. But I think my favorite is, of the set, is this very delicate and gentle movement where he he set a song called Shape of My Heart as a duet with guitar and cello. And it's a very plaintive, almost jazz-like ballad. doesn't sound very much at all like, like Sting's original, but it's just a really gorgeous piece. And I, 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 that's, I think that's one of my favorites of the set, but they're all really fun and they're all over the map. I thought it was also interesting that every breath you take starts off kind of like a Bach cello suite. You want to talk a little bit about that? That was that was the thing that Sting really seized on, you know, for, with Dushan. He loved that because I, I don't know if you know this, but Sting is a real fan of classical guitar, and Sting has a little Martin classical guitar. And I, I met him years ago, and and he said every morning he plays Bach on his classical guitar. He's a real fan of classical guitar and of Bach. So he loved that fact that Dushan took the opening lick, Andy Summers, you know, of of every breath you take, and turned it into the first cello suite of Bach. Also changed the time signature, you know. He had to to p put it in seven eight instead of four four because Dushan just that's you know he's Mister Odd Meter, you know, or, or yeah, asymmetrical meter. But um, it's very clever how, how he did that. So Sting had an association with John Dowlin putting out a recording of some of those tunes. So I suppose it makes sense that John Dowlin is on this recording as well, the master of the Elizabethan lute. Why was it important to have him represented on this recording beyond that? I could let Ian address the piece in particular, but one of the reasons he's on there, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of John Dowlin, and... I, I try to make the point in the in the program notes that he was like a rock star in the Elizabethan age. Like he was this virtuoso lutenist. He toured all over. His compositions were celebrated. So he was kind of like you know the the Jimmy Page of the Elizabethan era, if you if you want to think of it. But the other reason was kind of practical, which was that I knew that that Ian had written this spectacular piece called Music in Four Sharps based on this song by John Dallin called Frog Galliard. 
And I thought that would be a wonderful piece to put on this record, also because of the stylistic difference that it that it uh, proposes. You know, and it really juxtaposes Ian's incredible eclecticism to go from from Dowland to Led Zeppelin. Um, I'll let Ian address the piece, but he originally wrote it for two guitars. Then he wrote it, rearranged it for guitar and string quartet. And then at our behest, he arranged that piece for four guitars. So there's a lot of a lot of cross-pollination going on here. And, and LAGQ recorded that piece, Music in Four Sharps, on our recording New Renaissance about seven years ago. So I'll let Ian, you know, go forward about, you know, the frog galliard, maybe. You know, um, I don't want to go into the weeds too much on this. I'm a composer, and I can easily do that. But um, the original version, as Bill said, was for two guitars. It was for Julian Gray and Ron Pearl, who were just amazing players back in the late 80s and early 90s. And um, somehow I hit upon this idea of, of writing a piece where both guitar parts would be identical, but, but offset in time. And so that's how the original version works. It's like it's like a canon between guitar one and guitar two. You could literally have the two players practice their parts in unison, right? So that's how the piece kind of started. That's just a composerly conceit that I wanted to try. And the other thing that I was interested in in those days was taking somebody else's music and deconstructing it, right? Um, we call that derivative composition sometimes. Um, and the basic idea is to take notes out of the original, and then what you have left is something that you've you've created, but you found it in, in the original piece. And so the work starts with deconstructed Dowland. And as it goes over the first four or five minutes, I gradually add more of the notes back until three, four minutes in, you actually hear the original song as it originally existed. And then I continue that process um, and, and deconstruct it again. And then when I was writing the piece, I suddenly got into this groove um, in four sharps, I like this minimalist kind of folky sort of thing. And I just wrote it out the next five or six minutes and then at the very end of the piece um, after a huge climax um, the Dowlin deconstructed comes back again so that was something else I was very interested in and the other thing and you'll hear this in both of my works um, I'm very interested as a composer in long line music okay I've always enjoyed the thrill of music that picks you up and takes you somewhere else over a period of many minutes, often with 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 a, with a really passionate sort of um, you know cathartic climax, right? And you don't usually get that with guitar music. I mean, guitar is usually more intimate. The pieces are smaller. You know, it doesn't have a big dynamic range, right? It's harder to get that that kind of 
um, um, arc with, with just guitar. But in both of these pieces, that was kind of my goal, was to really unleash a lot of energy and a lot of passion and have the guitar sort of ride and over the top of it all. British Invasion is the title of the recording with William Geyser and the Alexander String Quartet, number two of our top ten most popular podcasts of new classical tracks in 2023, and now number one. Well, this one really centered on a very difficult conversation that I had with violinist Laura St. John how she was abused while a young student at her music conservatory in Philadelphia, and what it took for her to be one of the survivors. What allowed her to keep going in the world of classical music? Today, she continues her fight for women, and that's what we hear on the recording She, Her, Hers. It's all women composers. And you thought it was the best podcast of this last year in 2023. It was number one. So let's hear a snippet of it now. This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Micker. There are works on this new release that present new violinistic ideas. Can you talk a little bit about some of those unusual ideas and maybe give some examples about where we hear them? Well, for example, Milica Paranosic is the first track. She and I have been friends for years and kind of originally bonded over our mutual love of Serbian Roma music and, and music from that area. And so she wrote this one for me and she used traditional Macedonian rhythms, you know, odd rhythms. And then at one point she said, so here's, I want this effect here. How can you do this? And can you do it? Can you do it with foot bells? Can you do it with this? And so I just sort of figured out like different ways of, of being able to play a theme, but still pits, uh, still doing pizzicato on the, with the left hand. So that is kind of like accompanying oneself. Um, and little tricks like that in solo violin, um, obviously, you know, you're missing the bass and, and an accompaniment. So um, I like to try to figure out how to accompany myself uh, when needed. So there's a little bit of that. There's Valerie Coleman, for example. I've been a big fan of hers for 20 years, and um, and she wrote a, a gorgeous flute piece, which once I just sat down and worked out some stuff, I figured out how I can do this on violin. I can even do flutter tongue. And I can do the... So there's a little bit of that. There's a, a Laurie Anderson. She said, oh, I think this would be really cool if you want to kind of set this yourself just do she gave me carte blanche basically and so I set her Statue of Liberty for solo violin and Tibetan bells (laughs) 
you know the bowls that they they have those beautiful sounds that go right into your right into your uh, solar plexus somehow I don't know how those Tibetans do that but it's a pretty incredible sound um, and so I thought that turned out really well so just you know just sitting down and for me I have in my head the sound that I want to achieve and then I just sort of figure out how to do it and so yeah so there's some very kind of newfangled ideas for violin in this recording I wanted to dive into that Laurie Anderson piece a little bit more. You actually collected Tibetan bowls. Uh, I have I have two of them, which are as close as I could find to basically G and D. <laughs> it's it's hard to say because there's there's so many little uh, uh, extra kind of sounds in them. It's hard to say exactly what note it is, but. Um, in my opinion, these are, yeah, I, I went and tried a whole bunch of them at, at various places and uh, was looking for G and D. And yeah, I mean, it, it's even just kind of listening to it with headphones or something, you get this kind of sense of, of stillness and peace. I mean, that's, that's, I think that's what they're used for. I'm not exactly a meditator person. I don't, you know, sit around and sing Om or something. But those bowls are, are really made to, to to vibrate, I think, with one's, oh, people would probably use the word chakra in this case. Um, I also am not very good at yoga, so <laughs> I'm not sure. But it does do something to you. Like, it's really cool. And um, and she, she was really into it, actually. I've known her for quite a few years. And um, yeah, she thinks it's, uh, it's great. I was thinking the piece is kind of a meditation when I listened to it. Do you know why it's called Statue of Liberty? The original lyrics are, uh, just, to, just to summarize, they're about the fact that most people don't really want it, liberty. And the fact that those who have it don't appreciate it. And the idea of, like, the boats going past and into the cold water and into the, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's quite touching. And, you know, she just had New York Harbor in her mind and she, she lives in New York. She lives down there, right, right by, uh, you know, West side highway and, and the statue. And I think that was just, uh, she watched the boats come in and out and, and think of the fact that we're really not appreciative of what it is we have at least, well, hopefully, continue to have. I guess time will tell. There are several world premiere recordings on this release, and I guess for obvious reasons, they were written for you, so it's the first time they're being heard. One of them is Ada Kaplan's piece, which is called Whitewashed, and it's a very heartfelt piece, and... She thought it was a, a bit too hard to record herself. <laughs> yeah. But she actually wrote to you. Mm-hmm. Tell me about this, because she's only like a 
young teenager. Yeah, she was she was 14 when she wrote to me and she said, um, "Hi, I'm I don't know you, but I'm a composer and and a and a violinist and I wrote a piece that that I really want to like present to a I think it was to some sort of a, a maybe a little competition or something for her school. And she said, it's just, I, I wrote it a little bit too hard and I don't sound good. Can you record it for me? So I said, sure, you know, it's the middle of COVID and it's a, it's a very sweet little piece. Um, and she was 14 years old and she's from Philadelphia. So, you know, of course, 14 years old, Philadelphia, I was like, mm, this has to somehow be a little more fateful than a coincidence. <laughs> so um, anyway, and one of her composition teachers is Melissa Dunphy, who also wrote a great piece for a solo violin called Comos, who's also on the album. So the whole thing just kind of, I don't know, it just kind of came together really sort of serendipitously, if that is a word. I think it is. Should be. <laughs> Let's talk about Melissa Dunphy's piece because you were staying at her Airbnb and then all of a sudden, one night, here was this piece of music on your doorstep. Tell us this story. Well, yeah, I I went to go meet her because I had heard about, she does a lot of political choral works. Um, for example, she has actually set um, a, a lot of the transcript of the Anita Hill and uh, Christine Blasey Ford um hearings um for soprano and alto chorus and i was i was just kind of fascinated and so we were facebook friends and i said hey i'm coming into philly for this that and the other and of course little did she know it was it was to meet with uh, peter dobrin and i was talking about the story that eventually came out and um we've just been fast friends ever since and yeah she left this on the doorstep i was leaving early in the morning to go back to new york and i find this uh, this piece called comos the, the name actually means beating as in of the chest in great agony or great joy like it comes from the greek plays of um of many thousands of years ago and i i just i i love how in a way it's it's exuberant and it it, it is kind of it it's it's sort of painful in a way but but just so well spoken She also said about the title, which, as you said, translates to mean either terror, agony, or joy. She said, seems like you've had a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, she, she left the piece on my doorstep after uh, we had been out um, the night before, and, and I told her the whole Philadelphia story. And um, being a Philadelphia resident and, and all that, she's she's... Well, I don't know. She and her husband have been really great and, and very helpful about, about everything in this, in this whole regard of the Curtis situation. Let's talk about The Three Caprices by the Canadian composer that you have known your entire life, Sophie Carmen Eckert Gramate. Why did you decide to choose these three pieces for this project? Oh, yeah. She, I mean, she has 10 caprices, all of which I think are, are really great. Um, and what she did was she based these 10 things on 
on things that happened to her in her lifetime. So it's all very personal in a way. And I just really like these three. I thought it made for a very nice kind of little trio. Um, so I did the, the scherz, which is, it means kind of joke or jest. She, she was just in a great mood and, and, and wrote a really adorable sort of three-minute piece that's, that's just fun and sprightly and happy. And then the, the sickness and the clock. which is a slow and very sad one. She was apparently um, at the bedside of a friend and there was a big clock in the background and that was ticking and, and, and the friend was dying and, and just her, her reaction to that, she managed to put into music. And then the last one was Moroccan dance. And the Moroccan dance, she was in the city of Melilla, which is actually on the uh, African continent. It belongs to Spain, but it's in Morocco. And she saw a, a beautiful girl dancing at the marketplace, at the docks when she was going back to the European mainland, and it just stuck with her. And, and she composed a Moroccan dance on the boat back to Spain. So I don't know, just like it's, it's very, a lot of the other ones are, you know, the lights of Philadelphia at night. That's after she performed with Stokowski and the Philly Orchestra. And she was pretty well known as a performer in her day, and uh, both piano and violin. So... I call those people overachievers. Man, <laughs> I'm such a one-trick pony. But um, but yeah, in Canada, she's she's quite well known, and I've, I've just always been astonished that outside of, of Canada, nobody's even heard her name. And these are ten really nice pieces that every violinist should know. I think. The number one most popular podcast of 2023 from New Classical Tracks, the one that most of you downloaded and really enjoyed hearing. And I encourage you to actually go to yourclassical.org and listen to all three of these podcasts. We got a sample of the top three of those top ten, and they're all listed at yourclassical.org. The number one podcast, again, She, Her, Hers, with violinist Laura St. John. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer of New Classical Tracks, and here's wishing you a happy and healthy 2024. I'm Julia Macher. 